Namaste. I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in beautiful San Diego. Thank you so much for subscribing to this channel. Please make sure that you like the video you've just watched and consider making a contribution on our app or on our website. It's really easy to do. And thank you in advance for that support. It does make a difference. Yeah, I've been in this teaching for a very long time and have done my best to be consistent in practicing it. And I really think that our teachings do help us to, to love and to be courageous and to just be able to do so much more than we could without them. A couple of things I want to just bring to your attention, and that is, um, before I get right into the lesson, and that is that our Sangha newsletter is an important way that we stay in communication with you. We have changed when it is going out, so check your email. It goes out on Tuesdays now, and it includes the Sunday readings and includes the short Sunday meditation. So if you ever feel like, gee, you want to hear Natalie's um, chant and my meditation, again, you're able to do that from the short meditation clip in the Sangha newsletter. So I wanted to make sure that I got that in before I forgot. So today is a wrap-up of our foundations in our spiritual practice, in our movement. Unity, you may or may not be aware of, is part of a larger movement called New Thought. Raise your hand if you know what New Thought is, if you've heard of it or if you know what it is. All right. So New Thought is an umbrella term that covers and includes a number of different um, denominations, if we want to refer to them as denominations, Unity being the largest of them. Unity has about 700 churches and centers and groups around the country and a few international. The second largest member, if you will, of the movement called New Thought would be Centers for Spiritual Living. Very similar in teaching and in emphasis to unity. That's why we are all part of this New Thought movement. Centers for Spiritual Living has about 400 centers and groups around the country. And then much smaller, at one point it was larger, but much smaller is another organization called Divine Science. All of these share some very common roots. All of these are part of what we in the family refer to as the New Thought Movement. New thought is, as I've said, an umbrella term, and it really refers to a way of living, a way of thinking. The new thought movement was once referred to by the philosopher William James as the religion of healthy-mindedness. Take that in for a moment. The religion of healthy-mindedness. Not your head if that's kind of what you have experienced in Unity or Centers for Spiritual Living or Divine Science, that it really is a religion of, of healthy-mindedness. William James also believed that this teaching was really the, a unique contribution to the American body of, of religion, that this way of thinking, this religious healthy-mindedness, was a unique contribution. It began about 150 years ago, and it began in revolt to the dogma, a lot of the negativity and the, the, the dogma in traditional church. And it began very much driven by personal healing. 
If you've been with me in our Unity Foundational classes that I've been offering, you've heard me talk about our founders, uh, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore. Each of them used these teachings, discovered these teachings really for themselves, out of a need for physical healing, personal physical healing. In Myrtle's case, it was tuberculosis. In Charles Fillmore's case, it was an accident that he had suffered from. Uh, as a young boy, ice skating, he hurt his, his hip, and he wound up with um, a pretty significant limp through most of his life until he started to practice these ideas of healing. So new thought and unity for certain really began as a personal healing movement. And where we are today still includes that. That's why if you reach out to us for prayer support, we offer a lot of prayer around healing. If you reach out to Silent Unity, which is the prayer ministry of the entire unity movement, there's a great deal of emphasis on, on personal health and well-being. But where we are today as a new thought movement is really about planetary and societal healing. So it includes the individual. We haven't let the individual go. And for most of us, we start there. We start because something's not working in our life. Nod your head if you found your way here. I certainly did because something wasn't working. For some of it's us, it's healing or health isn't working. For others, what's not working are our relationships or a sense of satisfaction in, in life or our finances. So most of us find our way here because we're looking for something to help us be better individually. But we don't want to end there. And that's really the evolutionary arc, I think, of unity and of new thought. So I want to talk to you about the mission and the commitments and the values of what this larger movement stands for. Because when you come here, when you write your check or when you set up a gift to give to this center, you are giving not just to us so we can be here to continue locally, but you're helping to support the, the sharing of this energy, the sharing of these teachings and ideas and ways of living in larger circles. Let me ask you a question. Would you not like to have these values lived out by more and more people in the world? Yeah. Any, would you like anyone in your family, maybe? I, I, okay, your laughter tells me we all have an Uncle Harry or a Sally, or Aunt Sally, or someone where we go, we just wish that they would get a little bit of this. And yet in unity, we're not about conversion, are we? We really are about modeling the best that we can, who we are and, and what we believe and, and how we practice in the hope that that will cause the other to say, Kind of like, what is it you're on? You know, what are you doing? What are you reading? What are you thinking? What are you practicing? Because you seem to be able to navigate through life really well. I want some of that. I want to understand that. That's how we um, very consciously share our teachings. So anyway, mission and commitment and values of our new thought movement. I was part of the body that created these statements for our entire New Thought movement. For more than 20 years, I served on the leadership council or the board of the Association for Global New Thought. The Association for Global New Thought was founded to bring together the leaders of the, each individual 
denomination within New Thought, the leaders of Centers for Spiritual Living, the leaders of Unity, the leaders of Agape, the leaders of Divine Science, to bring us together to see what we could do out in the world that could be more beneficial. Remember I said we're now about not only personal healing, but what? Planetary and societal healing. So what could we do together to help heal the hurts in the world? You notice, some of you, the beautiful picture we have in the lobby of a small group of people with His Holiness the Dalai Lama. That picture is directly linked to the larger body of work that we do as a movement. We join together with His Holiness and more than a hundred other leading scientists and humanitarians and thinkers in Dharamsala, India, to sit with His Holiness for five days to dialogue and figure out what can we do? How can we work together? So these ideas that I'm sharing with you come out of that larger body. First being, we honor the diversity of cultures and faiths. We honor the diversity of cultures and faiths while aiming to practice and embody universal spiritual principles. We honor the diversity of cultures and faiths while at the same time, within the honoring of the diversity of the cultures and faiths, embodying universal spiritual principles. In some of my classes, I've often used this illustration. It's always been helpful to me, and maybe it'll be helpful to you. Think of all of the various faith traditions in the world as spokes on a bicycle wheel. And think of the very center where all those folks come together as God or divine mind, whatever to you is the ground of being, whatever is the word that you're comfortable with when you think of the infinite presence everywhere. So that's what's at the very center of the bicycle wheel. When you are further from the very center, when you are further from the very center, when you are further from spirit, when you are further from God, you're also further from the other spokes on the wheel, right? You're out, you're further. The challenges that so many people have with religion and with diversity and with culture is we're focusing on the outer edge. And we do look different. We have different ways of expressing different language that has come out of our different cultures, our different experiences, the very geography that our teachings or our faith or our culture came out of, all impact how we present ourselves and who and what we stand for in the world. But the closer we get to truth, the closer we get to the essence, what begins to happen? in our relationship to the other. We get closer to each other. Is that not powerful to realize that? To realize that. And at the center are those universal principles and practices. So we honor the diversity of cultures and faiths while aiming to practice and embody universal spiritual principles. The second key mission Second key idea is we encourage personal transformation and collective awakening. 
We encourage personal transformation and collective awakening. I don't know of any person who walks into a Unity Church or a Centers for Spiritual Living Church that isn't looking for something to transform their lives personally. It's what I was saying a moment ago. We come into this. We may not use the words personal transformation, but we come into this and we stay here. We learn, we grow, we, we, we come to understand more and more of what's at the heart of our teaching because we're wanting to make our lives better, right? Transforming our lives. But we don't end there. And that's the really key part. I've been in this teaching long enough to see that we have finally matured to realizing that though we begin with the self, we can't end there. We can't end there. The idea of collective awakening is critical, especially now, especially as we look at our world today. The idea of critical awakening is essential. And so we don't just stay in the teaching for how do we get our life together or better, but we stay in the teaching because we also want to see what is ours to do in the world. What is ours to do, and I'm not talking about job, I'm not talking what rights or paycheck. I'm talking about what is ours to do to help alleviate some suffering in the world, to extend some compassion in the world, to heal some of the divisions in the world. We don't have to do the whole thing. We can't. But what part can we play? And this idea of collective awakening is certainly growing. If you were to Google, the, if you were to go onto Amazon and you were just to look at the number of books that are written with the word awakening in their title now, it's impressive, it's inspiring, and I hope that people are writing them, but more than that, I hope people are reading them and that we're attempting to live them. Another, we practice the gift. This comes right out of what I'm speaking about. We practice the gift of active compassion and kindness, of active compassion and kindness. I don't recall whether it was the first synthesis dialogues in Dharamsala, India, or the second or the third. We did three of these um, in Trent, Italy, and in Rome, Italy were the other two. And in one of the synthesis dialogues, Ila Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi's granddaughter, was one of our participants. And if you ever met somebody who's small in stature and quiet in voice, but when they say something, they are so powerful. You hear them, you listen. Have you had that experience? Ila Gandhi was like that. And I remember Ila Gandhi getting up after so many people were trying to, it's a little bit like everybody was trying to impress His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, you know? And Ila got up and she talked about her purpose. And her purpose, she said, was to give voice to the voiceless. And then she went on to tell just a little bit about the work that she does in the world, which is impressive. But her phrase, to give voice to the voiceless, to those who either cannot speak for themselves 
or those who have been so marginalized that if they say something, it's not heard unless a person of power or influence or the dominant culture says it. I was so taken by that. To give voice to the voiceless, I bet there are people in your sphere of influence who do not have as powerful a voice as you do. And so this idea of practicing the gift of active compassion and kindness through service to all may be for you extending your voice of power, your influence in the life of someone who doesn't know how to or can't or society doesn't recognize them as valuable enough to pay attention to. As I was going over my notes yesterday, I was reminded, and I wanted to make sure I got the credit at the right person for this quote. You know that if you've been with me over the many years of my ministry, that we as a unity church, not only are we one of the more progressive unity churches, but we are also one of the more socially active and courageous unity churches, really looking for our place individually and collectively to, to do work in the world, hence our work in racial equity um, has been probably the most significant area that we've worked in. Prior to that, it was really being involved in supporting the Department of Peace, trying to work with Marianne Williamson to establish a cabinet-level position of Department of Peace in our government. So we've been very much at this intersection of spirituality and work in the world. The quote that says it best to me is from Cornell West. Never forget that justice is what love looks like in public. Give an amen to that. Those aren't my words. Yes. Never forget. Never forget that justice is what love looks like in public. So for those who sometimes say, well, it doesn't belong in church. Yes, it does. If it doesn't belong here, where is it going to get done in any way that's grounded in peace and is grounded in consciousness? We don't need angry activists. We need awake and aware and centered and passionate activists. Does that make sense? Okay. Another key idea in what we stand for in New Thought is fostering a world that works for the highest good of all. And we often say, and leaving no one and nothing out. Boy, does that sound idealistic. Boy, do we have some work to do. Would you agree? Idealistic and work to do. But we can't let the fact that it sounds idealistic or that there's a big gap between where we are and what that looks like keep us from working. We need to keep giving voice to what it looks like to create a world that works together, leaving no one and nothing out. You know, the truth is we do have the resources and we do have the technology to do it. I believe it was Barbara Marks Hubbard who was one of the first who had said, now what we need to do is develop the will. We have the technology. Man, can you imagine what Jesus would have done if he had had the technology that we have? 
or the Buddha maybe, to share a message, to connect people, to help people. We have the technology. We have the resources. Gandhi used to say there is more than enough for everyone's need, not for everyone's greed. I have often felt that one of the negative qualities of humanity is greed. And if we could just get past that, we would break our hearts open in such a positive way to make such a significant difference in our world. We have the resources, we have the technology, we just need to develop the will. And so we do what we can individually, and we lift our voices and we make a difference where we can. What do we believe in? I'm going to quickly go over four beliefs. What do we believe in a new thought? We believe there's an inherent perfection and sacred worth in the universe, in all of creation, and in every individual. Does that not sound like what we talked about just a few weeks ago? Believing in the divinity of humankind, believing that there is a spark of the divine in every single person. We didn't put it there. We can't get rid of it. It's what and who we are. We can layer a lot of garbage over it. And a lot of times our defenses and our hurt and our shame and our pain and our woundedness are like this big scab over it. And sometimes it's pretty messy to work our way through that, whether through teachings or spiritual practice or therapy, until finally we can eliminate as much of that as we possibly can. And to the degree that we do that, then more and more of what we really are, each of us, the divine, shines through. New thought as a movement, whether you go to a Centers for Spiritual Living community, a Gape church, a, a divine science, you're going to hear the, that theme, that there is that innate goodness in everyone and everything. Second, that the community of all life is interconnected and interdependent. Oh man, is that an important one. Oh man, if we really, really, really honored that individually and collectively, we, our lifestyles would change. We would be much more conscious about the footprint we leave on the planet. We would be craving making a difference in leaving a more gentle footprint. The community of all life is interconnected and interdependent. What happens in one part of the world absolutely has repercussions elsewhere. I don't remember what Awakened World Conference I helped to create and which speaker said this, but there was a speaker who was talking about leaving gentle footprints on the planet. And I remember this speaker saying, you know, we think about throwing stuff away. She said, there is no away. What's away to us is somebody else's here. I spent about four hours here at the church yesterday morning. Saturdays are usually my day off, but I'm going to start. I tithe, John and I tithe our money to the Unity Center and have for many, many, many years. But I'm going to start tithing my time as well, which means in addition to what I do as your minister, so I was here yesterday to do some organizing and uh, had my 88 or soon to be 88 year old mother with me helping. 
and we were clearing out cupboards and closets, trying to. This is a massive facility. Going through, and I almost broke into tears when I saw the number of things. I tried to recycle everything I could, but the number of things that I was throwing away, realizing fully well, there is no away. And all that does, there was a time that, that used to, thinking of those things used to make me feel guilty. I hope you know me well enough that whatever I share with you, it is never my intention. I don't believe you motivate people long for long-term change by guilt. So I'm never about trying to make you or myself feel guilty. But there was a time where ideas like this could make me feel guilty. And now they don't. They just make me more aware and more determined to be more conscientious. I'm going to be really careful the next time I order another loose-leaf binder. I'm going to be really careful. If you need paper, I have paper for you for the next decade. I don't know who bought all the paper in the church, but we got so much paper, never used paper. Looking at, is this making sense? I hope it's making sense. Bringing our teaching to a very practical level, but also a very collective level. Anyway, the community of all life is interconnected and interdependent. The choices that you make, the positive things you choose to do differently to leave a more gentle footprint. Nobody may ever see it. You may never get credit for it. You may think, well, it doesn't make much of a difference. Don't stop doing it. Eventually, we'll hit critical mass. Eventually, we'll hit critical mass. Third, consciousness is infinitely creative. We talked about that in one of this, the messages that I, I gave on the power of the mind. All of new thought, in its own way, recognizes the tremendous power of the mind to create and encourages us and emphasizes that we use our minds deliberately and constructively, not only for ourselves, but for the collective good. And then the last, human consciousness is ever evolving into higher states of consciousness. When I find myself getting depressed, because I've heard a bit of bad news, and there's certainly more than enough of that to go around. I remind myself, first of all, that we usually don't hear the good stuff, but it's happening. And there is an evolution of consciousness that's happening. If we look at how we as a human species try to live today, and what we try to stand for, and what many of us are doing, there is an evolution of consciousness. Barbara Marks Hubbard wrote in her book, Conscious Evolution, this is our finest hour. We live in a unique time, perhaps as significant as when the first humans arose in self-consciousness in an animal world. Millions of us are rising in a more universal, holistic, or cosmic consciousness in a self-centered world. So self-centered world may still exist, it does, but more and more are awakening, more and more are evolving. We are being called forth in every field and discipline to fulfill our potential through joining together in creative action. 
In the gospel according to Thomas, it said, if you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. And so I hope that you see the power of the collective, that when you're doing your individual work, when you're working to change your energy, to lift your energy, when you're doing your forgiveness work, when you're doing your personal inner work, when you're practicing gratitude, when you're speaking in ways that lift the other, that it makes a difference. And that perhaps realizing the interconnectedness of this community will keep you motivated for the long haul to not just look at your own wonderful personal transformation, but to look at and stay the long course for what we would call a global or a collective awakening and transformation. Namaste. Namaste.